Welcome to Rod Gilbert's Bulging Barrel of Laughs with your host, Rod Gilbert! Good evening and welcome! Welcome to Rod Gilbert's Bulging Barrel of Laughs, the show that's funnier than watching Jim Davidson falling on a banana skin, having a difficult break with complications setting in and dying. <laughs> And as usual, just in case Jim does fall on a banana skin and die this week, we don't want the jokes on this show to seem insensitive, so we'll cover our backs by saying that was not, in fact, a joke. (laughs) Tonight, as usual, we'll be reaching into my bulging barrel of laughs and pulling out stuff to do. And this week, we're going to have so much fun, we could probably easily have filled two of anyone's barrels. Coming up on the show tonight, we'll be getting hot under the collar in Rod's Rant Club, where we all get as angry and frustrated as Tom Cruise in Alton Towers. (laughs) Just crossed out the explanation to that joke. Well done, Radio 2. We'll be sorting out your problems with Lloyd's concierge service where my flatmate Lloyd Langford offers advice on any subject you like, despite the fact that to the outside world, his life looks about as successful as a dog that's been stuck for days halfway through a cat flap. (laughs) We'll also enjoy stand-up from Shabby Cos Handy. Another stage of women from Sarah Millican. And live music from Neil Hannon of the Divine Comedy. Ladies and gentlemen, all that... All that and lots, lots more. So with my barrel charged to the brim, frothing in parts and threatening to spill over at any moment and ruin the carpet, let's welcome my regular guests. First, a man who's a heartthrob for people who think, I quite fancy Rick Mayle, but he'd be even better if he was morbidly obese with swamp teeth. (laughs) It's comedian Greg Davis. Three hundred quid it cost me to have my teeth whitened because <laughs> of your relentless bullying. Uh, hello, Greg. Hi, Rod. That's it. Is this the banter there? Yeah. How are you? All right. All right. Thanks. What's your favourite colour? Green. Brilliant. Let's go. <laughs> and alongside Greg, a man who's a knight in shining armour to any damsel whose distress has reached such an unbearable level that she'd probably marry the horse. <laughs> it's my flatmate, Lloyd Langford. Hello, Lloyd. Hello. <laughs> is, is, is it my turn to say something? <laughs> In a few minutes, I'll unveil my bulging barrel of laughs. But before I do, playing for us live here in the studio, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the front end of the Divine Comedy, Neil Hannon! <laughs> it's pop singer's fear of the pollen count. Mr Neil Hannon, ladies and gentlemen, one more time. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to welcome my bulging barrel of laughs. In the barrel, we've put all sorts of fun and games, and during the course of the show, I will call upon Lloyd to reach as far into my barrel as he physically can and tell us what's coming next. (laughs) In fact, Lloyd, you can start right now. Get in that barrel and tell us what's coming up. (laughs) Well, Rod, it's confessions. Yes, it's confessions, confessions, confessions. This is the part of the show where we all share embarrassing stories, knowing that a problem shared is potentially funnier than one we keep to ourselves. (laughs) Tonight, the source of our sweaty palms and red faces is... 
showing off. We did put this up on the BBC Comedy website on Facebook uh, a few days ago, and we have got some confessions from uh, some of the people out there on the internet. So the first one, this one comes in from uh, Simon. Simon says, My wife was embarrassed by our then five-year-old son when she picked him up from school because he had found a piece of black insulating tape and stuck it under his nose. (laughs) And was pretending to be Hitler. (laughs) I told my wife that she should have thought on her feet and said he was imitating Charlie Chaplin. And she said this would have been difficult as he was also goose-stepping and (laughs) zeke-hiding. This is a good one. Listen, this is from Judith. I'm not quite sure how this one comes in as showing off, really, but it's quite funny. Uh, after my pregnancy, I was at the doctor's with a friend, both having our postnatal examinations. Before the examination, my mate said she wanted to use the toilet, but came back a moment later as there was no loo paper. Being a mate, I gave her a tissue from my bag. All good. After we had been examined, we were chatting about the experience, and she told me that when the doctor had examined her... He had discreetly taken something from her you-know-what and put it in the bin. (laughs) When he was out of the room, she'd had a peek to see what it was, and it was a first-class stamp. (laughs) It was a first-class stamp which presumably had been stuck to the tissue that I'd given her from my bag. Hopefully. Uh, Imagine if it had been a second-class stamp. How embarrassing. Oh. <laughs> I'd have kept that if I was a doctor, would you? I wouldn't have chucked it in the bin. I always steam stamps what, off envelopes. A scrapbook? <laughs> Not for a scrapbook. <laughs> no, I'd have kept it to use it. Give us a cheer if you would have kept that stamp if you were the doctor. And popped it in your wallet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Techni- Four men, all of them at max. <laughs> <laughs> I think technically that would constitute stealing off a patient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that stealing? Well, I tell you what, one thing it certainly isn't is showing off. <laughs> it is if you go down the pub and go, look what I found. <laughs> You'll never guess what I found this. <laughs> oh, dear, the Queen's head on your front bottom. <laughs> it's it's technically it. treason. <laughs> lucky, lucky the doctor didn't report her. Could be hanged for that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit sinister, isn't it? Uh, next up, this is a, a sort of classic, classic showing off blunder, this one. Um, at a fundraising barbecue, the local country and western club put in an appearance. One of the guys was trying to impress my mate and was doing the fancy moves with his gun, taking it out and twirling it on his finger and stuff. Next thing we knew, he'd shot himself in the thigh with a blank. <laughs> that's classic showing off, isn't it? That is a, that's a classic one. I've, I showed off quite a bit as a kid. We decided we could have a spinning competition to impress the girls. You know when you're about 14, girls love a boy who can spin. <laughs> we said, we'll have a party, right? You know, got a few drinks of cider in. We picked a house, somebody's house. His parents were going out. Brilliant. There was one guy who had very good balance. He was a good roller skater. He was a good skier. He could do all those things, which I couldn't. And he was spinning round on his heels, you know, just spinning round and round. Wow. You know, like, yeah, exactly. Cool. <laughs> he was cool. Uh, and um, he was spinning round, and then I decided... So I was trying to spin round, and I went round about twice, completely lost where I was, fell over, hit a table with a vase on it that went flying off and went through a window, and then I went over and put my leg through the glass pane of the door, and then me and the table and the vase all went through the porch (laughs) and brought the entire porch to the floor, basically. (laughs) Estimate £10,000 worth of damage. (laughs) 
for which I've never owned up. <laughs> but we were all panicking, what were we going to tell his parents? And I said, right, the story is you ran downstairs to answer the door, slipped on the mat, knocked the vase over, pushed the table through the window, put your foot through the door, and then the whole lot fell through the porch, right? That's right. what I'd done, thought they'll buy that. And then we said, well, who can come to the door? Because whoever it is, they're just going to say, well, we'll ask them. So we invented a little gypsy girl. <laughs> oh, Untraceable. So, as usual, you use racism to get out of trouble. <laughs> as we just, usual. We just wanted somebody whose parents would find it difficult to trace. <laughs> Poor little imaginary gypsy girl. <laughs> Before the audience came in tonight, you, the studio audience, we, as, as you will know, but I'm explaining for the people at home, we handed out uh, forms for you to put down your own confessions, and we've picked out some here that we, uh, we quite enjoyed. Jenny from Luton says, it's, uh, To be honest, the only bit of this that really interests me is the first line. My friend had a hamster and I wanted to show off with it. <laughs> to be honest... The rest, the rest isn't that exciting, right? <laughs> why, why would you want to show off with a hamster? <laughs> Let's have another one here. Uh, I tried to impress my middle-class girlfriend by voting Tory. Sorry, says Alex. <laughs> Still, this is better than uh, Rhiannon from Reading, who's... Uh, and she says, well, it's a long story. I won't bore you with it. <laughs> Haven't quite grasped the point of this, I don't think. We? <laughs> She's drawn a pair of curtains on there and put an arrow to them saying, these are irrelevant. <laughs> it's a long story, I won't bore you with it. Look, curtains wafting in the wind is a picture. This is unrelated. <laughs> I met Prince Charles when I was three and was so keen to impress him. I was so nervous that when he approached me, I lifted my skirt over my head to hide. Don't tell me there was a stamp there. <laughs> Prince Arwen's Mum! <laughs> Let's go back to the barrel of laughs. Lloyd, would you kindly delve deep into my barrel and tell us what's next? <laughs> You'll be happy to know, Rod, that next up is your Believe It or Not. Yes, it's Rod's Believe It or Not, where I stun you, the audience, with something I learned recently. My facts have been known to be so amazing that people's minds have literally physically been turned inside out. So if you don't want your mind flipped like a seal pup on the orca's nose, that is my fact. You better switch stations now. If you're still with us, prepare to have your brain tossed in the air like a mind pancake. In Indonesia, snakes have been found with human faces. What do you say of that? Well, I'll say what I say every, <laughs> every this week. This better not be a cynical, that's ridiculous. It just, I'll be honest with you, it genuinely winds me up, this section. This isn't a conceit. Rod genuinely believes all of these facts. So he believes that there are snakes with human faces on them. And it that's because there are snakes with human are faces they, on are them. They, uh, are they actually the size of a human no, face? No, don't be stupid. What? Oh, yeah. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> of course they're not. So they're really tiny human faces. Yeah, you know, they're not snakes. usually... They've got mini human heads, all snakes have. Usually, they're not all snakes, actually. This is a snake in Indonesia that is called Siluman Ilar. I used to speak Indonesian, Siluman Ula. You used to, you can't anymore, no? No, I can't anymore. <laughs> it's rusty, I've been there for 20 years, but it's, it, in Indonesian it means stealthy snake, because they tend to be very shy. 
Well, of course, they don't want to reveal their human face to anyone. <laughs> they tend to avoid human contact. They've got, uh, have like... you got more facts about this snake there? Yes. Let me, let, in that case, let me ask the audience a question. Who at this stage believes that in Indonesia there is a snake with a human face? No. Yes. Right. One man. Yes. Yes. One Indonesian man. <laughs> Zoo- an Indonesian zoologist, are you, sir? Yes. <laughs> Do you believe me that animals can, through some genetic freak of, of genetic thing, have just, like, it could be an eye, it could be an ear. Scott Curry, right, in Texas, caught a fish that had actual human teeth. <laughs> <laughs> No, that was someone had lost was their not... false teeth in a lake. Oh, in a fish, yeah, <laughs> op- that's very likely, that optimistic is. optimistic fish had just picked them up. I swear this is absolutely... Some things you just can't explain. There are things out there that scientists can't explain. Apparently, the reasons... This was in National Geographic. The fish with the human teeth was apparently is a hormonal problem, right? Or a problem during pregnancy. <laughs> a dental problem. <laughs> Sometimes it can be a problem with diet. There was a, a lamb born to a sheep in Turkey... Where's the turkey involved? What? <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Turkey, the country. In Turkey, there was a sheep born that had genuine um, sheep ears, but the rest of its face was human. <laughs> it was too much vitamin A in its diet, it said, in the National Geographic. Because that's the only thing that separates us from sheep is vitamin A, isn't it? <laughs> That's why Holland and Barrett is such a dangerous shop. <laughs> not my words. Not my words, the words of a vet. <laughs> I've was seen... He, was he a Vietnam vet? No. <laughs> the vet said, and I quote, I've seen mutations with cows and sheep before. I've seen a one-eyed calf, a two-headed calf, and a five-legged calf. He lives in quite a rough area, right? <laughs> but when I saw this, I could not believe my eyes. The lamb's head had human features. The eyes, the nose and the mouth were all human. The ears were still those of a sheep. That's a vet. <laughs> there we are. So I, I just think some things can't be explained. And no, that's... they can't. I that... saw a documentary once about a talking pig. <laughs> you see, a babe it was called. <laughs> see, you're just... Just being facetious. Some things can't be explained. Look, how come... How do you explain things like Jesus' face on a Danish pastry? <laughs> or Mother Teresa appearing in a Pringle? Or crying statues? Mother Teresa's face appearing in a Pringle? <laughs> That's not a specific example, but it's... I think it's more likely to be in a packet of prunes. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you believe my fact now that snakes sometimes have human faces? But let's do it by audience cheer. All right. All those who believe my facts, cheer now. <laughs> Quite a few. <laughs> All those who don't believe it. <laughs> I reckon you're getting better. <laughs> right. Brilliant. Uh, Rods, believe it or not, we'll be back to fry your cerebral cortex and make your eyes go proper squint with confusion next time. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my favourite bit of the show. It's time for another stage of woman with Sarah Millicott. Are you well? Yes! I don't know if you've spotted this, but there's a lot of men in this show. So I'm here to sort of redress the balance. Think of me as the liner in the kitchen bin. <laughs> or the handbag-sized packet of Kleenex tissues amongst the kitchen roll and shirt sleeves. <laughs> or the car parked 
add an angle. <laughs> the fifth of the six ages of woman is the hoarder. This is the period during your 50s and 60s when a woman takes advantage of all three for twos, regardless of the necessity of the item. <laughs> I've got boxes, well, pretty lined baskets, full of stuff to plop in the bath. Pearls, bombs, bubbles, ducks. And yet the only time I have a bath is when I'm in a hotel. <laughs> it's the only time I've got time for it. And then all I've got is merely an inch of hand wash slash shampoo slash shower gel <laughs> to wash a 12-stone woman. <laughs> That's me, by the way. That's not like a service that I provide. <laughs> Come on in, pet. No, not you. You're too skinny. <laughs> The main thing a woman in this stage of her life demands is more storage, into which she'll put the things she keeps buying but will not have time to use before she dies. <laughs> she also buys things that will last. My parents recently reported back that they had purchased the tea towels that will see them out. <laughs> How incredibly satisfying is that? No more tea towels for us, Val. Good quality. We'll get the 20 years out of those and then we'll die. <laughs> I found myself sliding down this road too because at 35, I just bought the first thing that I think will outlive me. I spent 17.99 on a bacon tray. <laughs> I better die before it. If I don't die before it, I'm going to commit suicide before it. I am a hoarder. Have I got any hoarders in? And this lady at the front, are you a hoarder? Oh, that's <laughs> oh, a good answer. Oh, ah. Oh. That's a yes, isn't it? Yes, okay, just checking. Are you from Birmingham? Coventry, close enough, pet. Uh, what kind of things do you hoard, love? Oh, everything. Everything. <laughs> paper clips and jam jars. Do you ever combine the two and have paper clips in jam jars? Yes. So at least you're making use of them. Do you have much call for paper clips in your life? Or do you work in an office or do you do a lot of admin? Once every six months. <laughs> so you've bought the paper clips that'll see you out, haven't you? <laughs> Thank you very much, Flower. I'm a bit of a hoarder. Uh, I'm aware that it will get worse as I get older as well. I recently bought a book, How to Stop Hoarding. It was on offer, so I bought nine. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> bought four. They can go in me junk room. Everybody's got a junk room, haven't they? My junk room, there are boxes in there that haven't been unpacked since I moved in four years ago. It's safe to say that if I haven't needed anything in them by now, I probably won't need it at all. Though I do miss my hamster. <laughs> my mum always feels uneasy whenever she has an odd number of jewellery. An even amount means it can be all divided equally between me and my sister when she dies. <laughs> like she thinks that's what we're going to be crying about. <laughs> oh, I've only got four rings and you've got three. <laughs> Pensioners have always had this hoarding instinct, though, haven't they? Probably due to having lived through a war. But they hoard useful things like tins and golden syrup. <laughs> While my mum and dad have the hoarding tendencies... They were children during the war. So they go to Costco, the cash-and-carry warehouse, and buy toiletries in bulk. <laughs> Inexplicably. Cupboards full of shower gel and mouthwash. So in the event of a third world war, they'll still die, but they'll smell lovely. <laughs> My sister's creeping steadily close to this period too. For Christmas, she bought me a box of 44 bars of dairy milk. <laughs> I thought about tipping them out on the bed and writhing around them in my nightly like an indecent proposal. <laughs> She said to me, these will last you for ages. <laughs> She's got no idea. <laughs> At 
sometimes down five bars on the bounce. That was a good week. <laughs> Women in this stage love collecting stuff so much that they get up super early, so I in effect hoarding daylight as well. At no other time in your life do you wait for the shops to open in order to browse. I think when I'm at that age, I'm going to stockpile comfy shoes. I know you can kill a man with a stiletto heel, but isn't it better just to cut them down to size and walk away quietly and comfortably? (laughs) If you're a parent, it's worth knowing that you'll always be a parent. I went on holiday last year with my whole family and suffered a bit from constipation. (laughs) It got to the point where every time I came out of the loo, my man would look at me and go, Well? (laughs) Or, Any joy? And I'd shake my head quietly, aware of the fact that she was really disappointed. <laughs> Eventually, when I managed to squeeze out a pebble, I came out of the loo and declared it to the room. <laughs> At which point, my parents erupted into a round of applause. <laughs> I didn't tell her I'd done it in my pants. <laughs> the bridge between the fifth and sixth ages of woman is where you can start being odd. We celebrated the 50th anniversary of my mam contracting polio with a cake and 50 candles. <laughs> Happy birthday, dear polio. Thank God for blank cards, because you can't get balloons with that on. <laughs> the harder stage is a good stage. It means you have a lot less to buy during the last stage. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Go back to the barrel. Lloyd, stick your Dickensian protuberance into my barrel and tell us what's next. <laughs> You'll be happy to know, Rod, it's time for the quiz of the week. <laughs> yes, it's the law that all radio shows have a quick-fire quiz. There's no time to put fingers on buzzers, no time for buzzers and no time for fingers. <laughs> Tonight, our quick-fire quiz is... Beat the clock! Yes, it's beat the clock, ladies and gentlemen. Big Ben is the largest four-faced chiming clock and the third tallest freestanding clock tower in the world. Tonight, Lloyd and Greg, you will go head-to-head with the world's most famous and best-loved timepiece. Audience, would you please give me a time between 1 and 12 for Lloyd and Greg to take on Big Ben tonight? One. Five. Somebody said five, didn't they? Who said five? Give us a... Ch- you said five then, madam. Why, why five particularly? Does that get any particular significance? Like five. You like the number five. You, well, you're in for a treat. <laughs> OK, Lloyd and Greg, the time you need to beat Big Ben on is five o'clock. OK? Yeah. It's the quick fire quiz. And your time starts now! Bong, 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 bong. Can we slow it down and have an action replay? Next time we'll have another quick-fire quiz when we play Whack the Rat, where Greg and Lloyd each belt Mel Gibson. 
We've got something a little bit different for you now, Lizzie, and we've got some stand-up comedy. Ooh, are you excited? Yes! You raise the roof, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome to the stage the wonderful Shappy Corsandi! This year, I've mostly been getting a divorce. And it's a very tricky thing to go through because I never know how to tell people. Because when you're getting engaged, there's a nice ritual to it. But when you're getting a divorce, what are you going to say? Like, hold up your ring finger and go, look, we've taken them off. (laughs) We're both very bitter. (laughs) Now, it's very common when you are getting a divorce uh, to use your child to hurt one another. And that's the worst thing you can do. But it is very difficult because the amount of times I wanted to pick my son up and hurl him at my husband. But when I found out I was pregnant, that was the beautiful part of our marriage. I found out I was pregnant. I was like, wow, I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to fit its life up with love and hope and understanding. My husband's reaction was slightly different. He walked around going, woohoo, my soldiers worked. <laughs> it's not his. <laughs> in the hospital with your newborn is very scary. I don't know if you've seen a newborn lately, but they don't look like they can last the night. It takes them a while to solidify. (laughs) And the the midwife came around with her little clipboard and she goes, what's the ethnicity of your child? And I looked at my baby boy and I said, well, if I had to guess, I would say he's half otter, half squirrel monkey. (laughs) And she goes, oh. Where are his parents from? And I said, well, we're both Middle Eastern. I'm from Iran, and my husband's from Nottingham. (laughs) And she goes, right, so he's mixed race. I don't know what mixed race means anymore, ladies and gentlemen, because aren't we all mixed race? I don't think you should call anyone mixed race unless they're very obviously mixed race, you know, like a mermaid. (laughs) So my son's not circumcised, and this is a problem for my mother. She's of that culture and of that generation where she goes, oh, but it's cleaner, it's cleaner. I'm like, mum, I'm just going to teach my son to wash his willy. (laughs) If you have greasy hair, you don't cut your head off. (laughs) I had no religion in my life growing up because my father's an atheist, which was no fun when I was a kid because my hamster died when I was eight. And I said to my dad, oh, has she gone to heaven? My dad goes, no, 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 she's in the ground being eaten by worms. (laughs) I said, Dad, that's terrible. Well, we worried she might block the toilet. (laughs) I went to a Christian school, though. We used to have hymn practice, um, which is brilliant, because now I would totally know what to do in a hymn emergency, you know. (laughs) If a farmer ran in at harvest time, freaking out, going, the fields, what do I do with the fields again? Calm down, farmer, we plough the fields. (laughs) And we scatter the seed. (laughs) But which seed? The good seed. Calm down, you live in London, what are you bothering me for? I've got such mum brain. Because once you're a mum, you worry about everything, especially living in London. I'm raising a boy, and there's some parts of London now that are so rough that a caesarean means that the baby's got a flick knife and can cut his way out, right? (laughs) And my window into the world of youth is my little sister, and she's uh, one of those young girls, and she says things to me like, "Um, Shappy, it's that really weird, because we're sisters, and we both live in London, but I never see you. (laughs) That's because of the way you talk. Different generations and and different dads. When she was 17, her best mate, um, Charlotte, had a baby. And I went to see the baby, beautiful little girl. And I said, what have you called her? She goes, Nokia. Does that name have a particular significance to you? She goes, yeah, I was on the phone when I was conceiving, right? (laughs) Now, that's very different to in my day. If at 17 I'd been on the phone when I was conceiving, it would have meant that I'm in my parents' house in the hallway at the telephone table. (laughs) 
people under 25 are going, what's the telephone table? <laughs> You'll never know our pain. Because now I'm seeing lovely young people here. If someone that you fancy says they might call you, you can just get on with your life because you've got a phone in your pocket. We used to have to stay in all summer holiday, rocking backwards and forwards, listening to Depeche Mode. <laughs> crying. And you had to stay there because if your mum got to the phone before you, it was over. Because when you're 15, the most embarrassing thing in the world is if anyone finds out you've got a mum. <laughs> so I worry for my son and I worry about teenagers because, you know, if they've got their hoods up, they're very stabby, hoods down, they're completely different. They're like, oh, hey, Oxford calling. And I was on the top deck of a London bus recently and uh, this kid was playing his MP3 player out loud in that intimidating way, like daring you to say something, right? So I said to him, like, do you mind turning that down? He said, do you want to get out of my face? I was like, ooh, ill-bred. I thought, I'm a mum now, I've got to stand up to the bully. So I said to him, right, if you're going to make me listen to your music, I'm going to make you listen to mine. So I started singing at the top of my voice. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. <laughs> Everyone on the bus cottoned on to what I was trying to do. And in this moment of solidarity, they all joined in with me going, salvation through the dark. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> This was London. I had to leave the bus. <laughs> You've been delightful. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Shafi Kwasandi. Let's go back to the barrel. Lloyd, stick your little pipe cleaner into the depths of my bulging barrel, have a rummage and tell us what's next. <laughs> next up is Rod's Run Club. Yes, it's Rod's Rant Club, and the first rule of Rant Club is... <laughs> Don't talk about Rant Club. In these most stressful of times, who amongst us doesn't need a place to let off steam? At a time when eight out of ten people say they are now more stressed than a man trying to get changed into his swimming trunks in the middle of a busy go-karting track. Now, more than ever, we need somewhere to vent our frustrations. Rant Club is that frustration venting somewhere. A place purpose-built for ranting, a soundproof bunker of rantiness, where we might not change the world, but at least we can rant about it. And tonight, the fly in our paint pot is... Home improvements. <laughs> we put the subject of home improvements and DIY and builders and the like up on the BBC Comedy website on, on Facebook a bit, and we got these came in in the week from various people. This is a nice one. Uh, what sort of things annoy you about making home improvements? This is from Shah in St. Albans. Uh, the noise, the mess, the money, the blood. Sounds like an album. <laughs> from Lynn, what sort of things annoy you about making home improvements? My husband. Uh, Joe says when my boyfriend and his mates paint walls they write rude words and draw pictures which after two years can still be seen even though the rest of the wall has been painted <laughs> my rant this week comes because I like so many amongst us have had the builders in of late and in case you're wondering that is not a euphemism I don't mean I've had man problems and I'm being a bit coy about it no I wish I did mean that having a prolapsed rectum would have been less distressing <laughs> than having actual builders in <laughs> Before I start, let me be clear that many workmen are decent, talented, skilled, nice, polite, honest and professional, hard-working, salt-of-the-earth types we all love and rely on. I am not, for the record, talking about them. I'm talking about the others, the ones who don't just build. They botch, break, bang, bungle, bully, bluff, balls up, bulldoze, butcher, blag, batter, burst, bust, block and blow up as well, although it might not say they do all those things on the side of their van. LAUGHTER 
I know this has always been the case, but if you ask me, things have reached rock bottom. And I have a particular reason uh, to say that things have reached rock bottom. And that is because, I don't know if anybody else has seen this, I was passing some scaffolding not so long ago outside someone else's house. And on the scaffolding, the builders that were doing the work had put up a sign that said, we are proud to be part of the considerate builders scheme. Is that not the most damning indictment of a trade you've ever heard? Shouldn't workmen just be considerate? I said to this bloke on the site, I said, what's that for? He said, we're in the considerate builder scheme. I said, I can see that. What is it? He said, we've signed up to be considerate. We try to be considerate at all times. I said, you try to be considerate. Do you really need a scheme? That's like me having a scheme not to be a gonad. (laughs) I said, what does it involve, this considerate builder scheme? He said, we don't wolf whistle at women. (laughs) I said, well, that's very considerate and not easy to do either. I know I'd find that a struggle. This scheme must really help with that. Giving up smoking is a tough one, but not wolf-whistling at women. Do you have access to counselling to help you? Surely you can allow yourself one get em off darling, every now and again. He said, no, we can't, and I'll tell you another thing. He said, we don't go through your stuff while you're out or take anything that belongs to you. I said, well, I can see why you're patting yourself on the back for all this. You're like Mother Teresa in a tabard, you want you? Like Jesus in a hard hat. Is there anything else the rest of us normal people take for granted that you want to congratulate yourself for not doing? Perhaps you'd like a certificate for not feeding my dog cement while I've popped to the shops. Is this how low our expectations are? Is this the best we can hope for? This plumber looks good, darling. It says in his yellow pages that he won't fill our toilet system with iron brew. (laughs) He'll try not to fit our new boiler in his own house and he'll wash and fold your underwear if he wears it. This is great. He said, we clear up after ourselves when we finished as well. I said, you're having me on. This is too good to be true. Have I died and gone to build a heaven? You mean telling me you'll try not to drink all my tea next? He said, that's right. I said, knock me down with a ladder. How can I ever thank you? You're embarrassing me. I feel like I should be doing more my end. I mean, paying you for your time and materials with a profit margin on top just feels like I'm ripping you off somehow. Ten grand for a new roof just seems so inadequate when you're not only doing the work we agreed, but you're going to all this trouble not to sexually harass my neighbours, steal my possessions and leave my house looking like a squat. I feel like I'm ripping you off now, not paying you for all this extra stuff you're not doing. What the hell is going on? I remember the days when you had to do something good to get a certificate, not just not do bad stuff. I've never stolen sweets from a small child, but I haven't got a certificate on my wall shouting about it. Nobody else needs a scheme like this. What's next? Considerate hairdressers. We'll try not to shave loser into the back of your head. Considerate firemen, we'll try not to feel you up while we're cutting you out of your bloody car. <laughs> and believe it, my new dentist is wonderful, darling. He promises that while I'm under anaesthetic, he won't pull my pants down and put photos of me on the internet. <laughs> the saddest thing is, I wish I'd actually known about this stupid scheme a few months ago, because the builders I had were proudly in the inconsiderate builders scheme. <laughs> You'll be with me at nine, will you? Forgive me if I don't set my alarm, but the last time you kept an appointment, it was nine o'clock, all right? Just not in this hemisphere. <laughs> took the day off. Unfortunately, so did you. I wouldn't have sat in my house on my backside waiting around watching daytime telly all day if I'd known you were going to do exactly the same thing round at your place. When you did finally show up, you could have made a bit more effort. Just start the day looking neat and tidy. That's all I'm asking. That you don't walk all yesterday's building dust through my house. You probably expect certain standards of other people, don't you? If you were about to go under the knife and the surgeon rocked up three hours late, covered in bloodstains of the remains of yesterday's patients, you wouldn't be too happy. And the next time you decide to stay home and send one of your protégés to do it for you, at least give him some idea of what to do. How would you feel if the surgeon you thought was doing the operation didn't show up? Instead, he sent another surgeon who told you he was nine 
years old, had never done an operation in his life, that he usually just handed the normal surgeon his tools, and that he could only remove half your gallbladder anyway because his mum was picking him up at half past four to go to the Cubs. <laughs> With the exception of Alan Sugar, the rest of us aren't looking for an apprentice. Don't send me 12 idiots and make me choose the least irritating. <laughs> someone who's dropped out of education at the age of ten and, as we speak, is missing his woodwork lessons in school so that he can be round at my house trying to use a flipping pizza wheel to saw through a solid oak doorframe and sand my wooden floorboards with an oat cake. (laughs) Bring someone you're training, by all means, but show him what to do. Don't just send someone so young that I have to tell him he can use Philip's screwdriver without Philip's ruddy permission. Don't send someone so incompetent that when I ask him if he can do pointing, he takes me out into the street and shows me a plane. (laughs) Don't send someone so stupid when I tell him the doors are coming at 11, he waits outside with an autograph book and a vinyl edition of L.A. Woman. (laughs) And don't send someone so inexperienced that when I say, and don't forget to open the windows if you're painting, I come back to find all the documents open on my computer and paint all over my flipping laptop. If you're listening to this now, get out of my bed, put your trousers back on, take my girlfriend's bra off, get my dead grandmother's jewellery back off your wife, replace the window you smashed, buy me a new carpet, put the jam back in the fridge, second thoughts, put it in the bin, and then get out of my flat. I would tell you to lock the door on your way out, but I'll have to postpone that for a while, won't I? Just seal the gap where the door used to be with a polythene sheet and the same tape you used when you tried to gaffer tape the kitchen cupboards to the wall. Oh, and before you disappear forever, go to the shops and buy me some tea bags. <laughs> Any builders in? <laughs> Next week we'll be letting off steam like a wallpaper steamer that's been left on overnight in a room that wasn't supposed to be repapered in the first place. And we return to Rod's Rant Club. Let's go back to the barrel. Lloyd, stick your trunks on and dive into my barrel. <laughs> the next round, Rod, is It's a Setup. Yay! Yes, It's a Setup. A very simple game against the clock. I will provide a punchline and Lloyd and Greg have to provide the setup to the joke. For example, if the punchline is Russell, the setup could be the hilarious golden oldie What Do You Call a Man with a Pile of Leaves on His Head? <laughs> Greg and Lloyd, you have to provide as many setups to as many punchlines as you can. And your time starts now. <laughs> Our punchline is Why the Long Face? Of course, from the original, a horse walks into a bar. Why the Long Face? Lloyd. What did the man with no knowledge of evolutionary biology say to the anteater? <laughs> what question, when asked in a Birmingham accent, becomes instantly rhetorical? A horse and Sarah Jessica Parker walk into a bar. Before the barman can say anything, the horse goes, let me stop you there, mate, she's heard it all before. (laughs) What did the exhausted climber shout at Mount Everest? (laughs) During the 1988 recording of the Generation Game, when host Bruce Forsyth said, nice to see you, what did my father shout out that caused him to be ejected from the studio audience? What did the man with little understanding of surrealist art ask Salvador Dali about his melted clock painting? (laughs) What did the Easter Island statue say to Ruud van Nistelrooy? (laughs) Our next punchline is two in the front, two in the back and one in the ashtray. (laughs) Two in the front, two in the back, one in the ashtray. Lloyd. How do you give the Jackson 5 a lift home? (laughs) 
Which that information is why the Welsh football team have never got to the knockout stages of any World Cup. <laughs> How do you get Katie Holmes, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Angelina Jolie and Tom Cruise into a car? <laughs> And that sound tells me it's the end of It's a Setup. <laughs> uh, next week, the boys will have to find a setup to the punchline Lloyd Langford. But to make it harder, their setup can't include any words that would be deemed inappropriate for Radio 2, for instance, swear words, words of a sexual nature, and words that demean Lloyd in any way, even regarding his failure in the bedroom. <laughs> So, let's go back to our barrel. Lloyd, abseil down into my bulging barrel and tell us what's next. (laughs) Next up, Rod, it's my concierge service. Yes, it's time now for Lloyd's concierge service. As usual, Lloyd is providing his service where he will attempt to find a solution to all your problems. Lloyd knows everything, has done everything and tried everything. He's been everywhere and got every T-shirt to prove it. How many T-shirts have you got now, Lloyd? Sixteen. There you go. I give you the oracle, ladies and gentlemen. Now that we've, uh, we've had some... Uh, we put this up on the BBC Facebook comedy site thing during the week, and we have had some, uh, some requests for your concierge service, Lloyd. OK. Sarah Jane says, Could you tell me how to humanely kill a spider crab? My husband once brought home two live ones and told me to kill and cook them. I have never been so traumatised. I'm sure my victims were too. After stabbing it with a screwdriver a few times... As per online instructions, I changed to a meat cleaver. While hacking it almost in two with a cleaver, I actually shouted, Why won't you die? Before descending into a fit of hysterics, the second crab was boiled alive. Can Lloyd help? Lloyd? Well, first of all, I'm not really sure you can kill anything humanely with a screwdriver. There isn't a single animal I can think of where attacking it with a metal spike would seem like the quickest and least painful way to end its life. (laughs) Uh, The famous Cook and Harry Hill look-alike, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, recommends the screwdriver method, but crucially goes into a bit more precision than your 1980s horror movie-style technique. (laughs) Step one. Allow the crabs to know that the end is nigh. Darken the lights. Put on a black T-shirt. I recommend playing some Edith Piaf or Leonard Cohen. <laughs> On no account, play Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid film. <laughs> Step two. Put a rubber band around all of the crab's claws. There's no point in more things getting hurt than necessary. <laughs> also, this will stop the crabs from self-harming in a last-ditch attempt to sabotage your dinner. <laughs> Step three. Clean the screwdriver. (laughs) Step four. Those of a sensitive disposition should listen away now. (laughs) Introduce the crab to the screwdriver. Once. (laughs) Through the face. (laughs) On no account should you start randomly hitting the crab like you're trying to win a cuddly toy at some funfair game. (laughs) Step five. Weep uncontrollably and become a vegetarian, you heartless git. (laughs) Finally, step six. By this point, you should have been thrown out of the aquarium. How about this one? This is coming from our audience here in the studio. How do I tell my daughter that she's a boring, parasitic drama queen? (laughs) Where are you? 
Oh, there she, there she is. How do, you, how do I tell my daughter that she is a boring, parasitic drama queen? Says you, without her refusing to let me see her children. <laughs> oh, God, this is suddenly taking a really... It was, it was quite amusing till I read on to the second bit of the thing. I thought it would, that was quite funny, but without her refusing to let me see her children who are under... Yeah, I think you've misunderstood the... <laughs> How do I tell my daughter? Maybe go on a uh, national broadcast. No, don't try broadcast. and answer this. You're not Jeremy Kyle. You haven't got the skills. Just, just get her to tune into this show, and uh, we'll, she'll find out that way. What are you thinking? This is just, a, this is just a bit of fun. How do I tell my daughter she's a boring, parasitic drama queen without her refusing to let me see her children? Look at Lloyd. What were you expecting him to do? from little Lloyd Langford. He offers a concierge service to the deeply sensitive counselling programme. I didn't realise it was Lloyd. I thought it was going to be you. You can do anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you said that, cos uh, I was going to hand it off to Rod anyway. <laughs> you were going to pass it over? <laughs> Listen, that's all, that's, all we, that's all we've got time for, ladies and gentlemen. Lloyd's Concierge Service will be back to sort out more of your hopeless lives next time. <laughs> Believe me, I wrote that as a joke. I had no idea how, I had no idea how appetite it would be for this evening's show. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the show. Playing us out tonight, ladies and gentlemen, keep the applause going and please welcome one final time Neil Hannon of Divine Comedy. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, give it up, Neil Hannon, Divine Comedy. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Rod Gilbert's Bulging Battleblast. Thank you and good night. Rod Gilbert's Bulging Battleblast starred Rod Gilbert, Greg Davis, Lloyd Langford and Sarah Millican with guests Shappy Kosandi and the Divine Comedy. It was written by Rod Gilbert, Lloyd Langford and Greg Davis. The producers were Julia McKenzie and Leah.